All right, guys, welcome back to Six Pennies Podcast. I think both Mock and I are getting off work early today, so instead of, you know, like a fun happy hour, we're actually going to get really serious here and talk about what's been happening in our country in the last week. But before we do so, let's get, go ahead and, and give a quick shout out to Loan Factory, one of our favorite sponsors. I'll give you the, the contact information. It's 469-585-4498. His name is Billy. He's been in the loan factory. He's been in the loan mortgage industry for over 15 years. His company, Loan Factory, uses 40 different lenders to help find you the best rates. And um, I actually just closed with him last week at a 30-year 3% rate, which is really amazing for 30 years. Basically like a, a special rate that he gets right now. It is temporary, so if you're interested, 469-585-4498. Um, that will be Billy's direct phone number. Um, and he does have a lot of loan processors and assistants that help him out again. So that's 469-585-4498. All yeah, right. Billy's the best. Just quick shout out to him. I'm, I'm in the process of finalizing a refinance as well. Amazing rates right now, really, really low. So definitely, give him a call yeah and and i did the 30 year i think you did the 15 year so obviously he has a, a wide range of different options and, and yeah for you. okay so a lot has happened muck in the last week in the last seven days uh, let's just quickly recap yeah. um i guess what transpired in minneapolis on i guess may 25th memorial day so monday I think most of anybody, unless you're living in Iraq, most of you guys have seen the video of George Floyd um, being pinned down uh, while handcuffed. And um, you see a white police officer basically just have his knee on on his neck for almost nine minutes. That means over eight and a half minutes long. Yeah. The last three of those minutes, he was already not breathing and unconscious. Um, so basically, you know, that knee was the primary reason to why he died. You know, just looking back on it, like, we can, we're definitely going to get into the different nuances, how you reacted to that video. But I do just want to give a little more context to our, our listeners. So um, George Floyd was, I think he went into like a convenience store to buy a pack of cigarettes. The owner, the cash cashier at the store basically said that the $20 bill that George Floyd used was a fake, was uh, was not real. And so when George Floyd left the convenience store, he was told by the store owner or the store cashier, I think there were two of them, um, to return the cigarettes. And George Floyd said no. The store owner then called the police, and this is what happened. This, this again, is around 8, 8.30 p.m. in the evening. It happened at a corner of a pretty busy intersection. So there are multiple videos, um, street cams. And then the one that everyone's seen is the body cam of a police officer. I don't want to say his name because I don't think he's, in my opinion, worth saying his name for me. But there were four different police officers at the scene. One, obviously, was the one who had the knee on his neck. And then the other three were there to support him, whether that's in case it got violent, whether there were other people to get involved. But there were a total of four police officers and George Floyd. The short and, and long of it is George Floyd died and 
crazy outrage has uh, has transpired since then from not only the black community but all communities um, from both sides, no matter you know what you believe. But it's just been a very very divided time for our country. Yeah. I guess Mock, I want to pause here to to ask of you. If, there, if there's anything you want to add to just George Floyd and, and that entire incident as a whole. I did. It's one of those things like you don't want to watch the video, cause, but I feel like at this point we're kind of so desensitized to it that it it's shocking. But it I don't know, like it, we're, we're used to it at this point. And I think the biggest thing for me for this case or this video was was how calm the police officers were, you know, like normally. You know, their defense is always like, you know, I was fearing for my life. It was self-defense. Um, I thought he had a gun, et cetera, all this stuff. But, I mean, they have multiple police officers, not just the the main guy charged with second degree, but multiple guys on him. And eight minutes, like, I, I think we really need to put that into context. Like, eight minutes is a really, really, really long time to be doing anything, to be kneeling in general. Like, that, that it's... Yeah. If we were if we were to stop talking right now and just let the just let the recording oh go for eight minutes, eight minutes. Can you imagine like we've right now the recording right now says five and a half minutes, so that's not even you know two thirds of the way there. Yeah, it's just really really jarring to see that part of it. Like the 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 people looking on are are pleading with the police saying, hey, you know, you don't have to do that. This is BS, like, get off his neck. Like, he's not going anywhere. He's, he, George Floyd himself is saying that, you know, you got me, you guys want or, or something like that. And I can't breathe. I can't breathe over and over. And it's just, it's, it's excruciating to watch that. Like, it's, uh, it's, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you can de- defend what happened there. Um, I mean, even if, and, and I think there's other videos that's, um, that combat, you know, the police saying that he was resisting arrest. Like he walked calmly out of the store, and and for what? Like all of this is over like a twenty dollar, maybe counterfeit bill. Like it's that's insane, man. I don't know. It's, yeah, we, it's hard to think about. No, we don't even know if George knew it was counterfeit, right? It could have just yeah. been given to him. Um, but let's just let's just say it was, and he was fully in, intending to to basically steal these pack of cigarettes. At the end of the day, um, that's not worth your life. I think what really got me emotional watching the video were basically the three were the three phrases that he kept saying, especially in those last basically dying moments of his life. Right? He mm. kept saying, "I can't breathe." He called out, "Mama." And his yeah. mom is his mother is is passed, so he's definitely calling out to be saved, which is it's going to make me emotional just to think about. And then um, he said, "Please." So like three very direct, like heart wrenching phrases. Yeah. And this guy is the the guy doesn't move, and not only like you said the nonchalantness of it, but he has his hands in his pocket. Like he knows yeah. exactly what's going on and he's just on top of them the entire time. So um little background again on George Floyd. He grew up in, in Houston, so that kind of hits home for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he runs in the same circle with a lot of people, but the, the most notable is Stephen Jackson, who is an ex-NBA player. 
And the yeah. reason why they kind of cross paths is because they they basically look alike. They they called each other twins. It was really heart wrenching to see how Stephen Jackson reacted to to everything the day or two after. Again, it's been a week now, and um, I I personally haven't heard much from Stephen Jackson, um, but a lot of other people have spoken out. So I know you and I are pretty active on social media, whether that's posting things or just digesting information. So how how have you kind of reacted to all of the, the the marches, the rioting, the looting, the police? Just how how does that affect you? I think for me, uh, and I mean, I mean, you know, and 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 I think we're kind of the same in this regard, and, and a lot of people know us are aware of this as well. But we, we, we're we're pretty optimistic, uh, generally speaking. Like, um, you know, we throw around the phrase like "believe" a lot. But even for myself, like, like I try to always see like the hope in things. And I don't know, this past couple of weeks, it's things have seemed very, very dire. Like, like there's a few bright moments, yes, the protests, yes, but man, I don't know, like every time I log on to Twitter and, and open to my timeline, like there's another like just awful, disgusting video of, of police brutality or something going on at the, at the protests and like it's, it's reaching a boiling point. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's June 5th now, it's, it's 10 days removed from George Floyd incident, but but again, it's it's not just George George Floyd. This is like the tip of the iceberg, you know. Like there's a whole list of names that I I just can't believe what's happened like the past 15, 20 years. Like all of this has happened, and 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 I, I guess that's a part where people feel hopeless. Like like it he just keeps happening over and over, and and there's a lot of deja vu. Like the same thing happened, you know, after Ferguson, there were protests and everything, and but. At the end of the day, like I don't know if anything's changed yet. You know, like like it's so hard to see that change. That that I feel like people, it's easy for people to lose hope. Yeah, so that's that's a good segue into what I do want to bring up. Um, I remember Ferguson pretty well, but I, I I don't remember there were a lot of protests like across the country. I think there were, but not. It was mostly um, you know around St. Louis, but. This, I feel like this feels different, and I don't know if it's because it's recency bias. I definitely don't rem- remember, like, the Rodney King riots in L.A., but this one seems more of, like, a nationwide movement, and I don't know mm-hmm. if it's going to change things. You know, like you said, we're both optimistic, and we can, we can only pray that it changes and moves people's hearts, um, but I do want to just quickly go through like some of the really major cases in in the last few years, like you said. And this is the sad part is we only know about this because of technology, right? Yeah, for sure. And and cameras and and any of that. Um, This stuff has been going on for decades, for centuries. But because now we can actually see it with our own eyes, because these cameras are so good now on your phones. Yeah. um, It's just... I don't know how it cannot move your heart, you're, you know? Yeah. I mean, the list is already super long, but just look at someone like, you know, Ahmad Arbery, right? Like that happened months ago and nobody was charged. Nothing happened until like that video leaked or that video got posted. And we actually saw him 
you know, literally get hunted down after just jogging. Thank God for video, but man, just imagine like how much happens without video evidence, you know? Yeah. And I, I honestly, I fully admit, I didn't really get into that case, but why is there video in the first place? Like, is that the car, the car that's behind them, was this all planned? Were, were they already um, predetermined to kind of hunt down Ahmad and the, the person in the back is going to record the whole thing? Like, to me, I, I can't believe there was even video in the first place. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't, I don't know who shot that video. I don't know if they were involved with the, with the two, uh, it was a father and father and son or, or some, some family members, right? I don't know if it's just a neighbor or what, but it's, it's disturbing. Like, like, what can he do? And it's, I think that this point, like, it just kind of shows like our privilege, right? Like it, it shows like all these things, you know, from George Floyd with the you know, supposed $20 counterfeit bill to Ahmad Arbery, he literally just jogging. Maybe he stopped at a like construction site to, to peek in. Like I've done that, dude. Like I, we, we do that honestly, like every day, like our, our neighbor is, has a construction and we, we stop in there every day. There's a ton of people who stop in there just to peek around and take a look at what's going on. And it, it's just, I would never think that something as simple as that or, or like a lot of these other cases, like selling CDs, like something so simple could, could lead to a death. Like it's, it's unheard of. Um, but, but that's kind of what the black community has really been facing all these years. And, and I think now that people finally see something like George Floyd where with the video, like there's no arguing against it. You know, there's, there's nothing you can say to defend those police officers. So I think that combined with just COVID, like everyone has time right now. Everyone has time to like really process all of this and really just really just take it all in. And and hopefully like just it's just a perfect storm. Hopefully it moves us to do something. You know, it, it moves us to demand change. Yeah. And I mean, the heartbreaking thing just with Ahmad Arbery, like you said, there were no there were no charges until basically until that video came out i think it was yeah. two or three months after he had died before you know those yeah. two were charged and it wouldn't be far-fetched to say that you know george floyd's case those officers may not have been charged either if it wasn't for the video oh so, yeah for sure um, the video i mean is very important because they need to be they need to see justice but at the same time I just hope that it doesn't promote like the other side, you know, just, I know you said we're both you know, optimistic, but the pessimistic side of me would, would say like, this gives, you know, the people who are privileged or the people who are racist, basically another weapon, another tool for them to kind of like promote violence. So it has to be used in moderation. It has to be um, presented with all the facts can't just be, uh, you know, we can't just make our determination on one video. It, we definitely need to see everything. With mm -hmm. that being said, though, the Black community and the Black population, without a doubt, has been facing this reality for more than we know and more, yeah. more than we can imagine. And they're going to continue to unless things change. I know you said it's, it's Corona, it's COVID. 
And there's been a lot of movements in major cities, but also in like suburbs. We both live in the suburbs. We are very privileged and very blessed. Have you and your family been a part of, you know, any protests or marches yourself? I think with the circumstances, like, like my wife is, we'll say on the cautious side for, yeah. uh, for, for COVID. So I, I think I want to honor her and, and uh, not go over there right now. But I think there's a couple of visuals that are happening this weekend that I'm, I'm hoping to, you know, just take part in and just honor kind of George Floyd's life. Like, you're right, like finding out that he was from Houston and just reading a lot of these stories of people who knew him and, and people who were close to him and, and what kind of person that he was, um, it, it, it does really hit close to home. I'm like, when I found out, I was like, you know, what was he doing up there? You know, like, but I think like Steven Jackson is good friend and, and all these people speaking out, like, I think the reality is it, it could be any of them, you know, it could be, yeah. I think that's the part that that's difficult for us as, you know, non-black people to understand, like there's this general just sense of maybe not dread, but, but kind of cautiousness, like, and, and I, I kind of thought that this myself too, um, so a few years ago, when when my son was born, and we brought him home from from the adoption agency. Uh, for those who don't know, my my son is biracial, uh, white and black, and I that that night like was the night of the Dallas protests, where they were protesting Philando Castile and Alton Sterling, and then that that was the Dallas police shooting and all that stuff. It was a very emotional night, obviously for everything, everyone in my family, uh, just the highs and the lows, the highs of bringing home a new baby boy and the, just the lows of watching all that unfold on uh, on TV and, and on the news. But I thought to myself that night, I was like, who knows how, like, depending on how dark, you know, my son Levi ends up being, will I have to parent him differently? Will I have to like teach him different things about, you know, how to deal with the police and if he gets pulled over and so many of these names are on this list just because of a simple traffic stop or what started as a tra simple traffic stop, like a busted taillight, like a missed turn signal, like, and, and it's, it's scary to think about, like, it, it's, it's scary to think about, yeah, how, you know, our black neighbors have to educate their, their children on, on stuff that for, for most of us, you know, especially us as as Asians you know we're still people of color but but not non-black like we don't have to worry about that it's not even in our minds you know so according to the FBI when a police officer is called so when you call 911 only five percent of those cases are considered violent crimes so mm -hmm. 95 95 percent are the car accidents or I lost my key or mm -hmm. I, I need to find my kid you know like those those are still, you know, big incidents and big happenings, but they're not violent crimes. So, you know, like we, we don't have to get into it, but that is a really good point in terms of the demilitarization of just police officers in, in general, right? And yeah. when, you see, when you see these videos at the protests, yes, they are um, there to, to keep the peace and police the, the laws, but it's it's crazy to go to a nonviolent march, for example, and you're in military gear with automatic yeah. weapons, and you know it's yeah. it's just a very scary sight. And some of our mutual friends posting on like Instagram story, 
they may be living in New York or in LA or, or in Chicago. Your brother posted one. Yeah. It's crazy them walking through the city and it just looks like a war zone. It looks like mm-hmm. the police are dressed up like military people like you would see in the movies. That that is that is a crazy crazy stat. So five percent of all calls are actually violent crimes. Let me give you a couple more stats. In Minneapolis for the last twenty years, anybody that's been killed by the police, thirteen times more black people than white people. <laughs> Very, very telling. Every single murder in the United States, every single one that includes gun shooting, uh, you know, like school violence, that includes homicide, that includes everything. Mm. A third of the people murdered are by the police. A third? One third in America. Wow. The last, I the last, know that. yeah, the last three months with quarantine and COVID. When everyone's at home and the majority of people are shelter in place, not outside, the number of police killings have been the same or even risen in some in some cities. So the percentage and the, and the number in the last three months hasn't changed. So people are not more safe being at home. Another one that I found interesting Ferguson, I believe, was six years ago or something like that, 2014. Yeah, 2014. That was not very surprising that it came from St. Louis. St. Louis is known to have the highest rate of police violence in the entire country. Minneapolis, just right behind it. So those two cities are, are you know, hotbeds for this type of unjust treatment by the police. I think those, uh, uh, one last statistic, so... Out of the 18,000 police departments across the country, so 1830, 18,000, only 12 of them have departments with more than 30% of black people. So it's majority white, which makes sense because, you know, America is still predominantly white. But that is a a very stark contrast. 12 out of 18,000 police forces have a, uh, have a force of 30% black people or more. The reason why that is important is because in this study, when the police have over 35% black people, the violence dramatically goes down. So there's no rhyme or reason. They don't know why at 25% it doesn't go down, at 29% it doesn't go down, but at 35%, it goes like drastically in the thousand percentage down. And it's it's a crazy stat because it's not very scalable, right? Because every force at this point is predominantly over 70, 70% white. So those stats really stuck out to me. A lot of this I found through 8cantwait.org. I don't know if you've checked out this mm. website yet. Yeah. But it's a, it's a movement led by DeRay McKesson, who is, who's identified eight um, use of force policies. So there's thousands of policies within a force uh, police department, but there's eight use of force policies that really make a difference. And basically he's underlined that if a police department goes from zero, so having none of these policies to having all eight, the reduction of violence goes down by 72%. So these are crazy numbers, overwhelming, irrefutable numbers that 
really can promote change. So what he's trying to do is gather all of the different policies across the country from all mm. these cities. So he's gotten the 100 most populous cities in the country, and then he's starting with so he started with those first hundred, and then he's getting every single California city, and then he's moving east, obviously. So um, he's gotten all those policies. And this website is the first website, basically the first database where you can actually look at every single policy that he's gotten. And it's not easy to get some of these policies for some reason. A lot of these police forces like to just keep it private. So he's had to come up with very creative ways to kind of subpoena these policies so that he can actually compare and address and then identify the ones that really need to implement these eight use of force policies. So I, to answer my own question, I haven't joined any protests like you. Um, I am still worried about COVID and, and, and the disease, the virus, but I just felt like I needed to do more than just you know, like an Instagram blackout post or mm -hmm. retweeting videos. This was the one um, initiative or the one project that I did donate some money to. So mm. I guess I want to bring that up because, you know, I, I do want to challenge anyone who's listening to this to do more than just the bare minimum. I think, Mock, what you said in our friends chat offline was was beautiful. The fact that if we stay, stand back and if we just stay quiet and almost ignore what's what's happening, we're almost as guilty as the one that's that's you know performing the unjust action. So that really touched me, and that's that's something that I wanted to do to use, whether it's our Six Pennies podcast platform or any other platform. I just want to get it out there that you know this one section of the population is being prejudiced towards and it's it's on everybody to to change it especially us as with six pennies podcast all three of us are asian americans and like that i don't know if that part kind of hit home with you as well but just the fact that the police officer kind of front and center in, in the george floyd video as well as i think one other one that was also kneeling on him, they're both Asian and, and they're kind of standing by and kind of protecting or, or blocking off every, anyone from uh, from what was happening. Maybe the metaphor, maybe it, it might be a little too on the nose, but but in a lot of ways, you know, that that does symbolize kind of Asian American culture in a lot of ways, right? Whether it's a cultural thing or what to avoid conflict or to just kind of keep the peace. A lot of times, like we don't get involved in anything unless it directly affects us. I think it's a lot easier for us and, and that shows our privilege as well. Like it's easier for us uh, as a people group to to keep the status quo and kind of ignore the plight of, of other people, other minorities right around us. So hopefully, at least, at least for us, uh, I'm glad we're using, you know, our own platforms. And, and I guess that that's my main encouragement right now for everyone. Like, First of all, like just get it educated, right? Like you need to do your research. Like you mentioned, like don't just watch like, you know, one video and uh, one side of it, but really, really like do your research, especially on the history of just Asian American and, and, and Black American, like how we've kind of been pitted against each other with the older generation as well, especially those who grew up, you know, overseas where there's not that diversity and, and there's, for whatever reason, whether you can blame it on the media or, or whatever else like, but there's, there's, I think there's a kind of general sense of fear there when it comes to 
our thoughts or, or our parents or our older generation's thoughts about the black community. You know what I mean? Like, like there's, there's a sense of unknown there, but that unknown definitely isn't a neutral unknown. Generally speaking, like, I mean, you can blame it on ignorance, but people tend to think the worst of, of the black community. Like they don't give them the benefit of the doubt that we would necessarily give to other people's groups. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that's, that's a good way to put it. Asian Americans are, are widely regarded as quote, the model minority. Mm. What, what is the model minority, right? Is it, because we go to school and we are successful in our professional lives, um, we don't commit crimes. Like, what really determines and defines what a model minority is? Does that mean we, like you said, stay stand on the sidelines and stay quiet, stay complicit to what's happening? There's a lot of different angles and discussion points that you can talk about this. I can kind of give our parents' generation the benefit of the doubt, even though I don't fully. But they are new to a country. They are not familiar with the nuances. They're not familiar with some of the laws. Some some families, like my parents, they, they also just fled a country that was mm. basically prejudiced, right? So they want to uh, go to a country and not cause any ripples, right? Just just mm-hmm. be on the sidelines and be quiet. So to that extent, I cannot, I cannot somewhat understand it. However, on our generation, and and definitely the generation after us, our children, we're American through and through. Whatever you you may want to define that as, but we were born here. Uh, we are protected under the same laws. For every triumph and every good thing that happens with America, we also need to understand that all the bad stuff should affect us as well and, and mm-hmm. will affect us as well. So with that being said, it's time, you know, it's 2020. It's time for us to kind of stand up and kind of man up and, and do more than what we've been doing. And I'm not saying you and me, yes, we do both need to do better, but just our, our community, our demographic as a whole, mm-hmm. uh, we should be educated to the point where we know it's wrong and we know it's right. And what happened, you know, on Memorial Day is completely wrong, no matter how you slice it. And I think you and I kind of talked about this. I, I try to envision myself to be that cop, to be that Asian cop. Just mm, Yeah. He, he was a lookout, right? He basically was just making sure that no one was going to interfere. Mm-hmm. And if anything was going to happen, he, he would have to de-escalate the situation. Um, so he, he basically had his back turned to the, whole, to the whole thing. But like we said earlier, eight, nine minutes of it, you know, there comes a point where you just have to be bigger than your job and be bigger than what's going on. And mm-hmm. it's e- easy for me to say this here in my office, talking to you on Skype. Um, but I, I truly do feel at that time I would have just sacrificed and would have tried to stop it. You know, mm-hmm. like, I don't know if I should say that, but I, I just feel like I would have, I would have been someone who tried to stop it and not because I wanted to be a hero or I knew it was on camera, but just, I wouldn't be able to just sit there. I don't know. Um, yeah. It's a life, man. Yeah. It's, I, I would hope so. Right. Like I would obviously, you know, no one's saying being a police officer isn't a tough job. We, we all know it's, it's very tough and, and maybe police reform means that it shouldn't be that tough of a job or, or it should something needs to happen. Right. But 
But at the end of the day, like that's a that's a human life right there, and and for them to just disregard it like that for eight nine minutes, it's it's. I I don't think we can really grasp like how long that is. You know, like it's yeah, it, it's such a lo- an eternity of time. So how how do you and Ophelia uh, usually you know, get news? Do you guys put the kids down and then put the news on, or? How do you guys, you know, individually as well as collectively get news? Because for the longest time, like my wife and I, especially during the beginning of Corona, it was like basically news every night and just learning and reading about it. Um, But when it comes to something like, you know, the issue of race or police brutality, you know, we're kind of private about it. So I don't know if I wanted to ask you how you and Ophelia do it. I'm like you. I think um, I don't have the TV on normally, but right now, like social media, like Twitter is, is has been and, and will be my main source of news for, I mean, it has been for the past few years, at least. And um, we, we kind of, me and Ophelia, we kind of digest it separately. And then we, we kind of come together to talk about it, especially how we're going to talk about it or bring it up, if at all, with the kids. I think it's it's tough. Like, I know it's, privilege as me to say as well but but there came a point like this past weekend like I wasn't sleeping well I wasn't able to get a good night's sleep apparently Ophelia said like I would wake up every couple of hours and, and pop up and say something like stop stop yeah. or what what's going on something like that yeah for those who don't know Mock, that's that's a really big thing because you are a very heavy sleeper yeah yeah I averaged like 10 plus hours a night in college um and and so sleep is definitely very important to me it's, I would say it's privilege of me to say because I realized I needed a break. Like I needed a break to kind of step away from just consuming all of this just heavy stuff. Like we would stay up watching like a like a documentary or or some talk about race relations, and then I try to go to sleep after that. And I think it's just too much on my mind. But even then, like just the fact that I can kind of take a step back, even though you know self care is really important. But but I, I guess I'm trying to say like as a sign of privilege as well that I'm able to kind of take a break and, and kind of not think about it for a little bit. I think that is, that is the point that we all should make is you and I, we can, because of our privilege, because of, because we were born Asian American, we're able to turn it off. We can actually yeah. turn TV. We can actually um, shut our phone off, put it on lock and not digest the news anymore or not immerse yourself in that world. But when you're a black person, you're literally living with it 24-7. Yeah. There is no break. Um, mm-hmm. And even in your own home, in the safety of your own home, you're thinking about it constantly. Maybe you have children that are out. Maybe you have a loved one that is out. You, it's something that is in their minds, in their heads, 24-7, day in and day out. And that's something you and I would never understand. You and I can never... Yeah feel that type of anguish, stress, just constantly on your head, on your mind. So that is a good point you bring up. We are very, very lucky to be able Mm. to just turn it off. And the thing is, the Black community doesn't hold it against me or you that we can do that, right? The Black community, in my opinion, they're just wanting to be able to feel that as well. They want to be able to to feel safe, want to be able to turn it off when they want to. If they don't want to be outside and go home, they want to be safe in their homes. Um, it's not like they're trying to bring 
the rest of the population to to feel anguish. It's more of we we want some of that, and they're human beings. Every black person yeah. should, and and hopefully one day experience that same ability to turn things off. So mm-hmm. that is a great point. Even at home, though, like just look at you know Brianna Taylor's case. Like she was killed at home after a work shift. Like after during COVID, like she's an essential worker. She came home and and the police came in and and ended up killing her. Like it's. Exactly. It's a, uh, yeah, it's just a different world, man. And, and I think we have to learn to check our privilege and, and, and understand our biases and where those come in. Um, and to, to realize that and kind of move forward with it as well. Um, so I think I've been encouraging people like, it's not just social media, right? Like everyone, everyone uses their voices, everyone processes everything in a different way. But I, I think I would just encourage everyone to just whatever your platform is, whether you have, you know, one follower, 10 followers, a million, thousand, like use your platform for what it is and try to try to bring about that change. Or, or at the very least, like, don't think that you're trying to convince someone otherwise, like you're, you're not you're not here to argue, but you're here. You are here to kind of grow your voice. And hopefully when you're able to grow your voice in that way and kind of understand where you're coming from and what you stand for, then hopefully you can bring your, that voice to, to other parts, um, sign petitions, give to these organizations that are, that are trying to bring about change. And I feel for people be, that kind of uh, see this as too big of an issue, right? Like it, it's, it's hard to see change. Change doesn't happen overnight. Like it's, it's hard to see, like you always bring up like that 0.001% positive difference right but it's yeah. difficult to see that but just because it's difficult doesn't mean we should stop doesn't mean we shouldn't try you know it takes each one of us to kind of do our do our own part fully agree so a very i guess funny example of of that 0.11 percent change um and this is not related to any of this, this is just a funny example but when i was in college i was all about not all about, but I, I wanted to make sure like my teeth were white. Like I didn't want to have stained teeth. And so that's why I never like drank coffee. I was actually <laughs> really, I was really low on like um, even soft drinks because that's that caffeine also stains your teeth. But one thing I always talked to my friends about was why aren't you, if you're chewing gum, why aren't you chewing whitening gum? It could be fake. It could not work. But let's say it <laughs> works 0.0000%. It works, right? If the price is the same, why not just chew whitening gum? That's a very, you know, dumb, simplistic example. My, the whiteness of my teeth, but for things, large social issues like this, yeah. I think that's the only way it can change. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we ideally, maybe we want the the sea change moment, and we want things to drastically reform and things are influenced correctly, but. Sometimes it doesn't happen like that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for example, in the 60s, when Martin Luther King got, got murdered, got shot down in the Birmingham apartment, there were riots for six days straight. I don't know if you mm-hmm. know this, but race riots have always been around for decades. He got killed and, you know, the black population, I wouldn't say black po- population, I would say all communities that believed in equality were enraged um, because this guy was a pillar of like peaceful protest, right? He was all about just reforming through um, education, reforming through through voting, through laws, things like that. But it was riots for six days and then the civil, and then one of the, the laws passed. 
And it was all because of the public reaction to Mm -hmm. his murder. And there's a lot of similarities. I'm not saying that George Floyd is Martin Luther King, but the reactions that have come Mm -hmm. about this um, hopefully can bring forth change. You and I, we both are really into sports. We love watching movies just like anybody else, listening to music. And these celebrities have a very, very powerful voice Mm. and a lot of influence. And I think um, it just feels a little different this time. I think there's more people that are speaking out to the injustices of the Black community. And I'm hoping that it would change. I do have two questions for you, Mock. And I don't want to get like too religious and I don't want to get too political. But the first question is, as a Christian, as an Asian American Christian, how should you in your opinion, react, and how should you promote or foster that change? What can you do? That's a really good question. That's it's a very loaded question as well. I think in the past, myself at least, I think I've tried to shy away from, from the political realm, but I think the more I think about it and the more stuff happens around me, the more I realize like, I, like it's impossible for anyone to really avoid politics altogether you know like like all of us are political beings just because like the way everything's set up like we live in this society and 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 these policies that are put in place these people that we vote for like it it matters um and and so like what you're saying before about the 0.001% like it you're right it all adds up right so whether it's your vote uh, if you feel like you're in an area where you're just one vote it doesn't matter like it, it, it takes it takes everyone. It takes everyone doing their part. From an Asian American standpoint, like I'm I'm focusing right now on on like my community. Uh, we moved to a new neighborhood recently, and unfortunately, because of COVID, we haven't had a chance to meet too many neighbors yet. But you know, one of the reasons um, I don't know if I've told you this, but one of the reasons we decided to move here was because of diversity. We wanted to focus on our kids and and wanted to kind of step outside our own me and my wife's comfort zones and, and go to a place where it wasn't primarily Asian. That was more kind of representative of, of kind of the rest of the world. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, as coronavirus hopefully starts to die down a little bit, that we can get a chance to meet, meet our neighbors um, of all races and, and really kind of get to know them and kind of have these deeper conversations with them and kind of see, kind of see each other's perspectives. I guess from a Christian standpoint, I would just encourage people to focus on their faith and, and not focus on political party, if that makes sense. So I think for the longest time, and, and uh, you can go look up the history for this to, to kind of figure out how that happened. But starting back in like the 80s, that's when political leaders decided that, you know, the Republican Party is going to try to be synonymous and, and get this church vote, this Christian vote. And that's where the Christian right kind of movement kind of started. And I think we've gone to a point uh, in 2020 now where it's, we're so divided. And, and most, most of the time that divide is happening because of red and blue. And, and it, it's just not that simple. So yeah, I, I would just encourage people. I know it's hard with the two party system to not like just be pro red or pro blue and, and just kind of, go with that card all the way, but, but really like look into these issues and, and kind of focus on your own faith and, and think about what you believe in and whether or not, you know, these leaders like, like Trump and, and all these other 
nominees in 2020, like which ones are really, you know, really symbolize what you believe in, which ones that like pray about it and, and think about like what issues really matter to you if, and don't just get stuck on one, you know, issue like abortion and, and kind of throw all your eggs in that basket. Like you, you have to, everything's more multifaceted. Everything's more nuanced at this point. Yeah. So my second point, and again, we don't have to get into political affiliations, but my second question is regarding just the country's leader. You know, obviously a lot has happened, a lot of divide, a lot of violence. My question to you is whether it's Trump, and I hope one day it's Trump, um, but what to you would, would a good leader in this situation do? Um, because what we've seen in the last 10 days, um, whether it's a photo op in front of a church, whether it's if there's looting, there's shooting tweets, whether it's, um, you know, just hiding in a bunker, like whatever the current leader is doing, I just, I don't see it. I don't see that he's leading the country in, in the right direction. And I don't, I don't see that he's unifying the country. But yeah. let's just take the, the name or take the individual out of it. My question is, what would a good leader do in these situations, in your opinion? I mean, a good leader would have addressed the country by this point, right? Or it's way past time for that. Um, and I know his disapproval rating or whatever is probably at an all-time high, but I think kind of what I said before, like just because something's difficult or something seems impossible doesn't mean you shouldn't still do it. It's it's on the leader to to kind of be a face and try to be a calming voice to the nation right now. Like, like we're at a point where we're like four or five, six days into these protests um, that some are ending in, in riots and people on both sides of the aisle are, are really getting riled up. Like there's a lot of just misplaced anger on both sides. And, and a leader is supposed to come in and dissipate that. They're supposed to come in and, and try to bring about peace, right? Like it's, it's just, it's embarrassing. Like I know, um, you and me, I don't know about now, but I know a few years ago, uh, especially like the Olympics come to mind, like me and you, I feel like we we were very, very high on the patriotism spectrum, I would say. Like we were, I think at one point you were, you know, really close to getting like a USA tattoo. And, and I, I think, I don't know about you, but at this point, like I'm, I'm embarrassed, man. Like I'm embarrassed to be an American right now. Like it's, it's uh, not just what the flag has come to represent in the past few years, but it's just everything that's happened and everything that continues to happen. And it, it definitely feels like we're in a downward spiral as a, as a nation. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep hope, man. I'm trying to stay positive and, and, and I do think change is, is possible and it's happening, but it's just very, very slow. So I like to equate everything or compare everything back to sports just because that's that's just how my mind works. So even when I'm at like work or on a work meeting, I, I kind of like equate or come up with a story that's equivalent in sports. And uh, when I asked you about what a good leader should do or would be doing in this situation, it just um, reminds me of like a really good team without a good coach right so like we just watched the last dance and it was an awesome documentary but michael jordan never won without phil jackson right mm. um kobe Bryant, Shaq, or i guess kobe bryant never won without phil 
Tim never won without uh, Greg Popovich. Brady never won without Belichick. And all these guys are great in their own right. I don't know where you put each of them on their own like pantheon scale, but they, they all need that leader. They all need that voice to win, to be successful. And so mm-hmm. I feel like, in my opinion, for our country to change, we can always have the Bill Cartwrights and the Robert Ories to speak up and be that locker room leader and, and have awesome speeches and kind of inspire all of us. But it still requires the head to kind of show us the way or the head to, to guide us to it. And so mm-hmm. um, that's for me, that's where the hopelessness feels comes in because I, I, I am still very optimistic I am just very hopeless because it feels like we're running around without a leader. Mm. And maybe, maybe we are running in circles, but it is moving, you know, 0.001% in the right direction. I just feel like with the right leader, with a person with just a very compassionate, empathetic heart, it would be so much better, whether it's male, female, whoever. But we just need a leader. It, it may not even need to be the president. It may just be another party or another office or mm. maybe a big corporation ceo i don't know we just need someone to kind of like follow with because at the end of the day with 300 or 400 million people we need to be led by someone all of us we have our faith and we we will be led by that individually and, and collectively but on, but on earth and through policies and through day-to-day you know, conversations and interactions with people, like, it would be nice to have an example. And again, that's where my, um, my hopelessness falls in. And when, when it comes to sports, so Drew Brees, how did you, how did you react to what he said and his apology and uh, all of his teammates' reactions? Oh, man, I, <laughs> uh, you just know it's going to get politicized. And, and actually, as we're talking right now, I just got a notification from Yahoo Sports saying that Trump said that Drew Brees should not have apologized for what he said. But I think I think it's important at this point to, I think there's a lot of outing going on right now in terms of just people. I, I think people are bloodthirsty in terms of wanting to expose racists, right? I think, I think that's something that's very evident right now. And like I said before, like people got the time. Like if you, if you say something that's, that can be perceived as ignorant or racist, like people are going to get you at this point. But I, I think it's very important to distinguish between being a racist and, you know, doing racist things or having racist behavior. Like one speaks to your identity, right? Like, like for someone like Drew Brees, from what we know of him, like he's very involved in his community. Like the people in New Orleans loved him. He, he was, he's been a great leader and a, and a great guy in, in New Orleans for a long time. I, I would not characterize him from what I know of him as a racist, but I think that's an important distinction. Like even those who identify themselves as anti-racist, they can still slip up. They, they, they're human. They can still mess up and, and um, exhibit, you know, racist behavior or, or be ignorant for some, for some things. So I think it's important to to kind of realize that and, and that goes for ourselves too like right that's what i'm talking about like having to kind of check our own biases but for his apology like i'm glad his teammates spoke out i think they showed a lot of solidarity there um actually like half the nfl spoke out and it, it's just crazy to me how like they're still 
people who are trying to signify Kaepernick kneeling with with the flag or with the troops or with the military when over and over it's obvious like it's like the stuff going on in the news right now like literally right now is what it's about we're not talking about you know the fabric of the flag or, or what it represents it's I don't know what like what what did you think of, of Drew Brees and Michael Thomas yeah it was it was a perfect example of white privilege and it's not I don't know Drew Brees personally but I can almost guarantee that he is not a racist for everything that he's done um, everything and all the communities that he's helped throughout New Orleans and probably across the country the majority of those communities are, are prominently black so I don't think if he were a racist he would be doing any of those things he's actually a pretty outspoken Christian himself mm-hmm. um, speaks about his faith all the time um, and he just seems from what I know watching on TV seems like a genuinely good guy right. and I don't think he had any bad intentions with his statement his initial statement but it's just a just a, a clear example of just someone who doesn't get it um, mm-hmm. someone who just doesn't understand the magnitude of of what's of what's going on and yeah he apologized and um i I was okay with the apology i just it's hard for me because i can't be a hypocrite right like i can't say that um there's there's change but at the same time i can't change so i guess what i'm trying to say is i haven't made a determination of of where i am with drew Brees. With that being said, though, I I don't I didn't like those initial comments, and uh, it's hard to say we can just move on. But I guess actions speak louder than words. So maybe mm-hmm. you know, the next public statement that he makes, he's going to be, you know, standing with his his black brothers and sisters and and doing something for the movement. And mm-hmm. you know, those things are more powerful than an Instagram post or a Twitter apology or whatever the case may be. And who knows, he, he may have already donated to one of these initiatives. He may right. have already, you know, voted and, and signed all these petitions. Um, we don't know that. I just, I just hope that he has. Um, because yeah. a lot of people, the thing with sports is it brings a lot of people together, including racist people, right? Like, mm-hmm. you, go, you go to a basketball stadium or a basketball arena, and most likely nine out of ten players on the court are black. And I'm pretty sure there's a large number of races in that arena, but they're cheering for the black guy, right? So at the mm-hmm. end of the day, you can't have it both ways. And it's up to someone like Drew Brees, who has a huge following of both black people and white people, of non-racist and racist, to really stand up, like I said earlier, and man up and try to lead this movement. This is what I mean. Like, we just need leaders to really move people's hearts. And I think Drew Brees, even though he kind of had a a misstep there a few days ago, this is his opportunity to really be more than just a football player, be more than just a Saints quarterback. Like this is your chance to kind of make more of a difference to the world. And um, I just hope he does. Yeah, I I think just a quick point about kind of the cancel culture going on right now. I, I feel like, this is a good example. Like if you think that this country as a whole is redeemable, like you have to believe that 
the individual people, like people like Drew Brees are redeemable too, like when they make mistakes, you know? So I, I know it's 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 hard to forgive right now for, for anyone. I think, like I mentioned before, like there's a lot of just anger right now and, and a lot of people don't know what to do with that anger. But I, I guess I would encourage people to, to do their research and, and to use their own voice. Like you can only control what you can control, right? Like you can't control what someone like Drew Brees or someone with a bigger platform says, but just use your individual platform, like reach out to the people that you know and re- like do work in your community and, and let it build on itself. Like you mentioned, like be that 0.0001% where you're at and just trust and pray that, you know, everyone else is doing their part too. All right, so I know we've been talking for an hour. We can probably do 10 more of these podcasts, and I would love to do 10 more, um, but we do need to end for today. Uh, I guess, Mock, do you have any closing remarks or closing statements, any challenges you want to you wanna give out to our listeners? Uh, I guess just three main points for me to try to summarize. Like, uh, first one is just educate yourself. Like, do your own, re- do your research. Make sure you understand where your values are at and, and what you what you're fighting for. Uh, the second one is, is use your platform. Like I, I think, I feel like I've repeated that over and over today, but kind of can't stress that enough. Like don't underestimate your own voice. You know, like whoever, however many people you affect, like who knows the chain effect of, of that one person. Uh, and the third one is is give. If, if you're in a place in your life right now where you're able to give to organizations, like we'll, we'll list some links. We'll, we'll list some links in the, in the comment thread on Facebook, but but yeah, do your research for that as well. What about you? No, I think that's that's a great summary. I think the only only remark I want to make is just do better than what you're doing today. Mm. Um, the only way the world can improve, the only way you can improve as an individual for yourself, for your for, for your family, or for others, is to do better than what you've done today. So, um, you know, as long as we can continue to improve, I think that will improve the collective as a whole. So. Mm. Yeah, thanks, Mock, for talking through this. I know um, it's hard to talk through, and, and thank you for even bringing up your your children, your your son. They're biracial, they're half white, half black, and they're going to be living through this. And um, you know, it's something that you're it's something that you're going to have to think about, or you do think about every day for your kids. And it's just, I just hope things get better, man. That's the only thing. All right, guys, thank you, and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon.